So, um, so during this time, just to pick up the theme of the citta in its effective sense, from Vihara, refuge, how we're affected, how we feel. Um, Okay, pleased, happy, safe, settled, breathing in, breathing out, extending that quality around us, bringing it back into our sense of being here, bringing it into ourself, to our where we are right now. In the early days of the Buddha, there's an occasion when he was uh, walking and he saw, a, I think, a group of young men out on a kind of jaunt with some women. And I think the women had run off and the boys were, the young men were kind of running after them, looking for them. And he said, well, do you think it's better to chase after these, these girls or is it better to actually find yourself? <laughs> So the Buddha was the first uh, heretical Buddhist, started talking about himself and finding himself. <laughs> I think we can take anatta much too, uh, you know, simplistically or totally, very clearly the, all the Buddha and all disciples had, had a very functioning, coherent uh, selves, but they declined to accept them as, pers- as absolute, personal, eternal, fixed, or constant. Yeah. So the self is like the, lo- the location where we're coherent. If you see, it's where we sense ourselves as being, whether we're frightened, happy, it's happening to me. It's the particular location of, of jitta at any particular time, the locus of awareness. I'm hearing, I'm seeing, I'm touching. And once you recognize that, you say, well, of course, it's changing all the time. It's not a permanent thing. Now I'm happy, now I'm sad. And, uh, the, of course, the, you know, people may feel, well, how can one liberate this, this, this self from all these things that happen to it? And this is the big co-ed, because it actually, actually, uh, you know, we always imagine there could be an autonomous self separate from this feeling, you know, that thought, but what happens, it just shifts to another feeling or thought, doesn't it? So it's always on the move. So it's, it's dependently, dependently arisen. So in finding ourselves, we're actually just coming to finding that it's dependently arisen doesn't mean it's not, doesn't affect, doesn't got tremendous effects. You know, when we're happy or sad or confused or violent or uh, joyful, there's tremendous potential in it. So it's very important to find that place where you're, de- where you're dependently arising and to recognize this is the place where if the factors that arise there are unskillful, 
there can be a lot of problems, a lot of trouble. The factors that arise there are beneficial. Hey, there can be a lot of benefit. Uh, so, anatta really means because you're not permanent, you have to be very careful about what what conditions you know are arising, where you look locate your arising selfhood, because it's not autonomous. It's always going to be arising within something. The confusion of the quest is trying to separate that existential self from any kind of object, or place it into something that's going to be permanent. It isn't. But there can be that quality of of awareness and attention that uh, skillfully holds that and understands it. So there's a liberation from clinging, from fear, from pride, from conceit. There's a sense of humility, you have to operate this thing carefully. Know how to quieten it, how to encourage it. And eventually, we ha- that can be handed over to the Dhamma, to truth, to awareness, and uh, cessation. It's only in the cessation of conditions that the sense of self can cease. You can't have it you know, in some permanently good place. It's only in the cessation of conditions the sense of self, uh, self can cease. So, and that <coughs> is always uh, the main theme of practice, seen as coming from, first of all, stabilizing, so that we can really review and uh, recognize uh, self is not autonomous. And this does a, a tremendous liberation just in that much. It's the liberation from conceit, from fear, from imagery, from uh, vanity, aversion, carelessness. You know, the things that get established in order to place oneself in some particular position or to protect oneself in some particular position. And when, that, when those can be put aside then uh, we're we're actually able to, uh, the freedom begins to dawn. And what refuge is about is (coughs) actually (coughs) placing that location of awareness within something that's uh, benign and clear and wise. So it's it's like you might say, colloquially speaking, is revealing yourself, mm. and uh, revealing yourself without fear or judgment or uh, grasping. This is what refuge, in a way, means. You just imagine Buddha and being seen completely, without uh, aversion or judgment. So the first quality I would 
theme of, of metta is to first of all re- receive a sense of non-aversion. You know, it's so often a repeated theme in his practice is the acceptance of one, oneself. You know, but not to say, oh, that's fine, let's stick with this forever, but, oh, it's like this right now. So we really witness the conditions that are arising and uh, allow the quality of truth to, to stabilize, to purify. So you kind of, when you really witness the you know, unskillful m- mind state, rather than to kind of jump in with some judgment or verdict or tighten up, why is this unskillful? Is this unskillful? Are you sure? <laughs> you know, are you sure? Oh, what's happening? Someone's kind of buried in, in some obsession or another. It feels spinning, it feels mesmerized, it feels um, there's no space here. Um, yeah, it's kind of really, you know, to contemplate the unskillfulness of unskillful dhammas. Why? And then this is the way you, you kind of, one learns this way. The chitta learns. Oh, I don't want it to be there. It's just like, like that, you know, you like you want the fresh air. You don't want to have your head stuck in some kind of, you know, whirlpool of stuff. So the, the, it's the, that realization really, uh, it's very profound because it's not coming from a place of of judgment, um, ego judgment. This, this is doesn't feel good. You know, obviously it feels some good, otherwise it wouldn't be in it. And what it generally feels good about is this is, um, um, you know, giving me some some heart, some energy, or this is um, relieving something. One's Frustrations, one's restlessness, one's one's irritation. So you get some kind of spiteful states, and it seems to be relieving it. Yet after a while, as you contemplate that, you know it's not actually relieving. <laughs> it's relieving the pressure of it, but it's actually you, you, one still stays in that particular area. And then, well, how, does that, how good does that feel? Mm. So often, that moment of waking up when you, you realize this wasn't very good. And that's quite a crucial time to take to have refuge. Uh, because that's the time when you're waking up and then, oh, you idiot, what are you doing in your life? You're wasting your time here and after. Then, you, well, you know, the whole lot of this kind of stuff happens rather than, oh, Congratulations, you've woken up right now. Hello, welcome home, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you, the Buddha says, oh, you, you see me again, hi, hello. You know, just like you, you're seeing a little dog or a cat with its head in a paper bag, kind of trying to wrestle its way out of it. And eventually it kind of manages to get its head out and looks up. And you, you don't blame it. You say, oh, hello, welcome, you know. Nice to see you again. So always the return is very important. You know, I think all of us, uh, you know, it may take sometimes you're kind of fretting on about something for days. 
you know, and then, you know, waking up and welcoming oneself home. Oh, here we are. So that really encourages one to, to stay with the refuge. You keep referring to that as, as, the, as the benevolent, the kindly, the supportive. So eventually you want to go there more often. It's really tra- training the mind very much like that. So that sense of really being able to um, feel received and to re- receive that quality of acceptance, uh, approval, uh, interest, acknowledgement. Buddha. Well, this is saying in the suttas, you know, some monk says, Oh Lord, Mara overtook me, I have committed a transgression. And the Buddha says, Well, it's very good that we, you've noticed that. And once you've, once you've noticed the transgression, this is considered to be progress. <laughs> Noticing a transgression and kind of getting yourself right, this is considered to be progress in this discipline, which is a very nice thing to say. <clears throat> so the moment of noticing is to be is to be you know fully celebrated rather than you know looking back and lamenting it's a sense of connection to to the refuge. I think this is very important. You consider why, or some of the root causes for why one feels uh, lost or confused or irritable or needy or desperate. What is it always? What does it come down to? We lose a a sense of connection. We feel um, isolated. There's a reaching out for something to to connect to, to belong to, to be part of, to be energized by, to be um, interested in. Yeah? A lot of the sense of, of um, negativity comes up from um, fear, fear-based negativity, fear of being rejected, so we get uh, irritable, gloomy, depressed, fear of not being part of something. And it's interesting because it's not a matter of just physically being alone or not. You know, often in solitude one feels pretty good, you can feel okay. But the real fear of isolation comes when one is in the presence of other people. This is where a lot of the problems occur when you're actually in the presence of other people. You just don't know whether you're really getting through or whether you're okay with them. So it's not it's not a sense of being alone that's the problem. The sense of being um, isolated. So many times people remedy that just well. Let's just be alone. You know, on your own, you don't. One doesn't have so much of a problem with that. 
is when you're actually in a, in a group of people and there's all that kind of part of your awareness is naturally we're programmed to to receiving, acknowledging, recognizing somehow you know, being with other people, we're tribal creatures, we're mammals <laughs> born out of other people's bodies. So you know, when you when you're particularly in a silent retreat or in Sangha life in general, is that feeling of well, is he is he feeling bad about me? You know, maybe a silent faces are composed and not expressing anything. Is he is he feeling negative? Is he harboring up some grudge, um, or perhaps just not even interested? So you get these kind of feelings of of being shut out. Anyone gets uh, edgy, nervous, irritable, or sometimes there is direct misunderstanding and conflict. So we often find that uh, you know people feel okay with each other until they start talking. <laughs> Communication. <laughs> you just sort of see this. The words don't very often meet. <laughs> so, uh, so you go know, just be silent all the time. See the importance the Buddha placed upon uh, the Dhamma as our refuge and the Vinaya as our refuge. It's part of that sense of trying to make the ways we operate together harmonious and free from blame or jealousy or favoritism or these kinds of things, negativity, and then cultivating six ways of conduct. You know, kindness towards others, sharing towards others, kindness in body, thought and deed. You know, so this is, the Buddha is laying this down. So this isn't just some kind of new age communications workshop. Because <laughs> it's saying it's just the recognition that, that if on a conventional level one's apparent self doesn't feel okay with other people in some ways, then that's going to set up the source of, of restlessness, agitation, doubt, worry, uh, hostility, jealousy, and then you get these kind of defilements occurring, and um, you know, the mind doesn't settle. I think it's very important just as a, to have that sense of, of you know, extending goodwill in the mind and in gestures and in actions towards others, just on that level alone. It's also, um, you know, one of, the, one of the frustrations that we experience is, the, is not just that we're, we don't feel particularly Regarded, but also we don't have the opportunity to to somehow extend ourselves towards others. You know, we can feel 
um, a sense of frustration that this uh, heart energy can't somehow manifest. So, I think quite a lot of people leave the Sangha because of that. They feel it gets dead or numb. You know, you can't have any sense of friendship or, or, um, or it's limited, highly limited. There's some, seems to be some basic need to, to have the mind being able to extend itself, the heart extend itself, to share, to suffuse. You know, when we're practicing Anapanasati, that's exactly what you do. You spread the mind through the whole body. You, you, the mind then comes out of its sense of being kind of uh, a separate thing, it merges and blends. And you're actually in a, in a situation or an experience which is not mind or body, but blending in the two. And this sense of the, the mental energy or the heart energy and the thought energy and the body energy will mix together. Everything feels very settled. And that's the uh, uh, experience of samadhi, is like that. You spread, suffuse the entire body. And that they feel satisfied. You get a sense of piti and sukha, and you feel, feel satisfied. It's like you found a, a place where, or a way of being, which is not, um, hasn't got boundaries inside. It's not you know, if you're kind of encased, it can spread, it can suffuse. It seems to be a recognition that, that uh, we only fully come into balance when there's that possibility. When we are experiencing ourselves as essentially separate locations, there's always a self-other sense, and then there's a, well, how, you know, it's unsettled. How do I fit in? Am I okay? So when you're doing that in your own body, it's like you're entering into a unity on the bodily level. It's unification. The boundaries disappear. The sense of separation disappears. You put the energies fully blended. And a similar thing happens with the Brahma Vihara, where it's mixing the the mind or the heart energy with with uh, one's perceptions of others, so that the apprehensions or the fears or the sense of isolation can dissolve. The bottom line of that really is is like non aversion rather than uh, an intense emotional experience so if you you know you think you're going to crank out huge amounts of ebullient enthusiasm for every sentient being it can be a tall order actually What's more to the point is that uh, one can accept or be okay in the presence of without that sense of stiffening or contraction or nervousness or 
your restlessness. Then that's a sense of suffusion that's actually peaceful, calming, satisfying. Because that's the nature of of mind, it's not separate, it's not autonomous. Yeah, it, it arises, it's a, it arises dependent upon conditions, it's mixed, it's it's interdependent. others as to myself so um, one reaction that can occur in the sense of separation and isolation that we feel um, and the discomfort of that is that we infatuate that is we in a way we lose ourselves and just completely throw everything onto somebody else is falling in love, it's called falling, it's, it's quite, you know, where everything becomes dependent upon that person, so it's no longer interdependent, it's just, you know, it's a sense of everything is transferred. So the, the quality of metta is not like that, it's a sense of really, there's this, this is fine, this is okay, this has to be fine and okay, this base, and then there's another, and then and you, it's like, what's the, what's the sense with that? When I practice, one way I practice, I like to imagine just sitting on my own and starting to uh, get a feeling of, of refuge and well-being in the body. And then start to imagine somebody I know standing, you know, outside the room or then... Or, or some distance away, and then how does that feel? Does that feel comfortable, pleasing, or whatever? And then, you know, allowing them to walk closer in my mind and just noticing what happens. Or when the point comes when one feels that's fine, that's, you know, that's close enough right now. You know, some people, it's please, could you stand on Mars? <laughs> But we can share the universe, you know. I feel comfortable with you being on Mars, that's fine. <laughs> Other people you get on the planet, get into Cornwall. <laughs> Gradually coming down to Hurst Lane. And then <laughs> so it's just to recognise how, you know, that. so we're not saying it has to be 
you know, complete bonding to every every being, but where the sphere of kindness and ease and, and compassion, where does that occur? Because it, you know, so when you're looking at it really in terms of where does the purity of that quality, what supports it, then maybe you say right now, at this particular moment, this particular time, you know, that's, that's near enough. That's, just, that's where I feel comfortable. It doesn't mean always, it doesn't mean, it just means right now, you know. Sometimes situations where actually, you know, I don't want anybody near. You know, some functions I like to perform on my own. <laughs> And there's a particular, uh, you know, errors that occur are, are one, the sense of, of um, you know, trying to kind of grasp, hold of somebody. And what happens there is a sense of losing the center, losing autonomy. The other is trying to um, completely exclude other people. So part of you is always out at the edge, nervous and worrying in case they come in. And again, one loses autonomy. So this is when you, you, the sense of, of self is not based upon something that's skillful. And when it's skillful, it allows space, movement, reflection. Um, when it's unskillful, it becomes reaction. It becomes permeated with greed or lust or hatred or fear. Hmm? And you know what they feel like. They feel tight. They, they um, feel constricted. They feel compulsive. Um, they limit one's freedom. <clears throat> so we're always looking at the sense of freedom, clarity, ability to respond, ability to um, be clear and reflective. Mm. And coming back to that particular place where we we find ourselves, we find ourselves not as somehow, you know, completely separate and yet, and yet not, um, not, not totally welded to everything that's going on. As you see, the, I think all of the experience of trying to find someone to bond to utterly and uh, the the roller coaster ride of that one, you know, sort of ups and downs and disappointments and wonderful exciting moments and then senses of losing it and grief and separation and pain. So in the the, the uh, full development of of practice of Brahm Viharis, can you be all right with person's presence? with their absence, with their decline, you know. So you always retain yourself in that picture, you know, to others as to myself. And actually this helps you to find yourself. If you 
cultivate relationship in that particular way, it doesn't, it's not about losing yourself into other people. It's about actually more clearly finding yourself. You know, oh, this is because you've had this sense of, of knowing your center, knowing when it feels comfortable, and you continually test that, check that out by proximity, by absence, by closeness, by what's it like to, when you feel someone you disagree with. Okay, I disagree with that person. Now, can I disagree without a feeling of uh, guilt, aversion, uh, you know, this is it for the rest of my life, this is my enemy. It's, no, right now there is, there is, there is disagreement. Ah, oh. okay, there's that. I'm here, I'm okay, but there's that. Mm. So one doesn't have to move into aversion. Fear, mistrust. So it's always helpful to cultivate metta bhavana with the, you know, people you like, admire, respect, and people you have some difficulties with, people you find a lot of disagreement with. Just okay, put place him there. This person I disagree with, or have problems with, or find it can't understand. Can I experience that without my mind kind of sizzling and crackling and popping and flailing and floundering? <laughs> just, you know, just do that. Doesn't, don't try and fix or change this person or understand them. Just, just how to be there without doing that. That's all. So then the relationship works itself. The, the right distance works establishes itself, the right sense of how we relate establishes itself. It seems that the difficulties arise when you try to understand or fix or, you know, and one loses oneself in that, in that, in that action. There's one center. It seems to be the fundamental thing that is talked about in all the Brahma Vihara, to others as to myself. Don't lose yourself in that. Then you notice in the in the chant, the recitations of it, the qualities are exactly the same for Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Rupeka. They're not it's the same refrain, you know abundant, lofty, exalted, free from hatred and ill will. That, that covers all of them. You know, so, so, although we may tend to look at what's the difference between compassion and kindness, or uh, this, this is not really, uh, this isn't the thing that the Buddha really makes much of. The main thing is that if you establish a sense of, to others as to myself, then at some times, the sense of what will happen there will be a, will be something like a, uh, that which which feels it wants to encourage. Sometimes it'll be, it'll be that which is metta, to feed, to support. 
Sometimes it would be that sense of when you establish that particular correct relationship, there would be a feeling of something that wants to protect, you know, or heal. Oh dear. You know. Sometimes it would be something that wants just to admire and appreciate. Oh, wonderful. And sometimes it would be something that wants to just say, well, that's the way it is. <laughs> there it is. That's it, Eupeka. But if you start off with just establishing the sense of this is the me bit, that's the other, and you know, then the, the, the different qualities arise um, dependent on, on, on what, that, what is being called for. There's something very satisfying about that because you don't have to crank out or pump out the, the juice. It happens by itself. We're naturally sharing, the mind is naturally sharing um, effective experience. So it does it by itself. And in fact, if we can't do that, something in us feels very unfulfilled, very frustrated. You know. And we tend to then... Uh, use the energy on something else, like the hobbies, pastimes, the things we can get our joys from, um, good causes we can support, you know, charitable things we can follow. And you get um, the, you know, which is all good stuff. But it's certainly strange when you, when you find high-minded, altruistic people who have a great sense of wanting to help Compassion for other people, actually, murder to live with. <laughs> Why is that? Because it, it's in, you know you're dealing with something in theory, but actually they haven't actually learned to to ground it into a, 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 an actual you know situation. So this isn't an ideology. And it has to be something as fluid as that, because uh, as other people, we're always shifting and changing. Sometimes you, you think of somebody else, you think of them as being happy. Oh, that's very nice. Maybe you will. And you're feeling a sense of them being a bit sad. You think, oh dear, something else happens. You get a sense of them being um, hurt or angry or hostile. Something else happens. So... You know, the relationships have to have, be able to change, so you're not just continually seeing somebody as, a, as an admiration object. That's not very nice, actually. <laughs> That's when you have it, when you, yeah? It would seem to be a good idea, wouldn't it? You know, have admiration objects. But that is not skillful, because you've actually frozen you know, that, you know, because we have admiration energy, it doesn't mean that you know, you've got to be there as my admiration object, because sometimes the admiration object actually would, doesn't particularly you know, 
benefit from being admired. It would be benefit from being taken care of. <laughs> you know, so the, you see what I mean? How, uh, you know, with re- revered teachers and something like that, you can actually, you know, finding their image, using their image as something that enables one to access one's admiration energy, which is great, fine, lovely. But it isn't necessarily a mindful, skillful approach because, because, you know, one is losing oneself and you're asking somebody else to provide that. So if you fully practice it, you can recognize any other human being. You can see them from metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, not just one. That's just that skillful. You try to think, what could I have a sense of appreciation for about, um, you know, Mao Zedong or (laughs) Jack the Ripper? Well, he probably kept his knives clean. (laughs) These are difficult, I admit. I've never actually met these people, so I wouldn't know. But but I remember Ajahn Sumedho trying to develop Mudita for Pol Pot, the Cambodian uh, maniac who massacred or brought around the massacre of half his countrymen. He said, well, he probably at one time he patted his dog. You know, so you get some sense of that. Yeah. I think say Hitler was very fond of his dog. Dog wasn't Jewish. (laughs) 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 So, you know, (laughs) these are these are big but actually fortunately we don't often have to practice with people like that. You know, you've got a lot more easier stuff than that to work with in Sangha life. But still, it can be that bit about, oh, he's so up in himself, or oh, she's so this, he's that, he's always, he's so conceited. Wait a minute, yeah, it's that. Why is that a problem? Because when that energy happens, I, I feel flustered, confused, I, I lose myself. Yeah. Otherwise, how, why should other people's behaviour be a problem, except that it throws me around? Otherwise, it's just, oh, he's doing that. Well, it's, mm, well, good luck, you know. <laughs> but it isn't like that, is it? Why, why it bothers me is because it, it winds me up. So you know, get me away from this guy. The creep drives me nuts. And so that, you know, then the image of that person always becomes, that's ex- all he ever is, is just that. He becomes registered as my, my wind-up demon, you know. You know, my tyrant, my brat, whatever it is that you that you you've registered them as. And actually, then if we separate, the chances are that becomes frozen. It becomes, you know, they're a museum piece that you bring out for regular pillorying. <laughs> so, in the un- unloved, you know, you try to say, well, where can the sense of maybe there's a certain distance. I can place them at where at least I'll feel something like equanimity. You know, like, that's the way he is. Mm-hmm. He'll ex- experience the karma. Yeah, you know. And then maybe, when you, when you get to that, you think, well, it must be difficult being like that. And you get a little bit of karuna. And then, you know, compassion. 
So it's often that sense of having to establish the right sense of distance at any particular moment that allows the process to begin where first of all you may sense, well, I can accept them being around on the planet you know, without my mind worrying. And then, okay, now it's stabilized, and now here's me, okay, I'm okay, and then sense of, wow. Then I feel a feeling of, well, a person like that must be really, have a lot of problems, be quite deluded or confused or shut off, a bit of karuna. Doesn't mean you want to necessarily have them in your room, but at least you found a way of, of not letting it um, haunt you. <clears throat> and you've been able to have something come from the heart. And so one remains alive. The worst um, fate, I would think, is to not be able to have anything come from your heart towards other people. You know, because that's what kills you. That's what makes your life miserable and dead. Nothing can happen except fear, aversion. Mm. So I think it becomes, you know, really important that we cultivate in that way. to free the mind from its triggering into fear, aversion, blaming, agitation. One finds oneself 